You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Look, I don't regret it at all. I mean, I, I wouldn't have changed any of it, man. It was like I got to Hollywood at the fucking perfect time, man. I mean, the, the week we got there was just the best, you know. You know, me, Dave, we start Megadeth, on it goes. And just to, you know, that's – and again, I kind of consider that, you know, that was divine for both of us, you know. He he needed he needed a a, a, a real right-hand man who was going to frickin' be there, and that was me. And and, and I needed, I need a, a, you know, someone to frickin' pilot the jungle. And, and he, he knew his shit, and he grew up around the area. And, you know, he I'm thankful for him every day. You know, despite all of it between me and Dave, I'm always thankful for him. That he was the big brother to, you know, help me get through that. Because, you know, just a kid from the farm landing in Hollywood, that's like they make Rock of Ages. Isn't that about that with Juliana Huff? Isn't that her character? I mean, that's that's me. You know, that would have been me, you know. But uh, but um, yeah, so, it, you know, look, it all worked out. Right. So. It's all good. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound, Talent, Media, and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing craft beers. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and trust me, if you are ever in Montreal and you want to go see a killer show, Heavy Montreal will have you covered. I am beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just loves in-depth, interesting conversations, well, well, you should definitely let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You can tell them that there are over 400 episodes where I sit down with fellow metal musicians and we go deep. We talk about their lives. We talk about their childhood. We talk about life, metal, and craft beer, of course. If you would encourage one of your friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with David Ellefson of Dieth. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 411. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with David Ellison of Dieth. David, this is so cool to be with you. We've met once before. I imagine you will not remember this, but I remember it. It was at Milwaukee Metal Fest a long time ago. I was there with my band Three Mile Scream. Uh, I'm actually going to dinner with my old bassist, Mike Marino. Tomorrow, we were signed to Corporate Punishment Records, which is Tom Hazard's record from label from back in the day. We had driven hours and hours from Montreal to get to Milwaukee Metal Fest, and it was a bit of a bust. It wasn't very cool <laughs> whatsoever, but it was cool talking to you, and I remember that very much so how are you doing awesome well i'm glad at least this part was a good memory so 100 <laughs> percent. but the show itself was was not worth the how many yeah. hour drive it was from montreal <laughs> yeah like so many of them are you know what it I mean? happens it's like, isn't that the truth you kind of weigh it out it's like you know it's like oh it's good it is they say well it's good exposure and that right there is like already's that's you trouble know, that one. That's... Yeah, you'll be abused, treated horribly, not paid at all. The food will suck, <laughs> and you know it'll probably be you know who knows. <laughs> I drank. Yeah, uh, so. I remember we went to the store and we. This, I, I, I know that you're sobers, but. I'm a beer podcast, so I remember going yeah, yeah, yeah. to the store and buying Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, and we tried to enjoy our night later after the hey, that, show. That was, was my very, very first beer. So, you know, it's funny. I was preempted with this. said, hey, do you want to do this podcast? It's a, you know, it's about beer. I know you don't drink, you know, and I said, yeah, look, it's, it's cool. I said, you know, the problem isn't when the alcohol goes in you. It's when it goes in me that it causes the yeah. problem. So, right. yeah. so you know, hey, beer is perfectly fine for most people. So it's funny. You know, so grow up. You know what? Eight hours to the west of Milwaukee, since we're centering it there, right? And um, so, yeah, Miller beer was my very first beer that I drank, actually in the little pony. So it was Southern Comfort peppermint schnapps and the little pony size, you know, Miller, which it was the champagne of beers. I, I liked it. It was it was a great. It just looked good. It looked like on a hot summer day out in the fields in Minnesota and the farm where I grew up, you know, it was like, it just, it just looked like it would be refreshing, you know? So uh, it was definitely refreshing. It wasn't very effective. Uh, we didn't realize how low of an ABV it had, but we had a good time nonetheless. And, uh, definitely it looked fancy. Funny thing is you, so it's, so growing in Minnesota was, you know, you had to be 19 
And of course, I was not of that age when I started drinking. I was 15, right? So you got to get someone to buy it for you. Uh, part of the high school hijinks, right? And mm-hmm. then um, then on the weekends, you know, and you can only get beer at liquor stores, right? So the liquor stores were closed on Sunday. So Sunday we would go. You could either go, if you lived in Minneapolis, you'd go over the border into Wisconsin, and you could buy uh, at the grocery stores the 3.2% beer, which basically is just an excuse to have to pee a lot, you know, and you don't really, you don't really get much of a buzz. Right. And, uh, and same. So for us and the Southern Minnesota, where I was, we drive over the border to Iowa down to Spirit Lake and Lake Okoboji, which was, you know, the summer party area. And so we could, we could buy it there at the, well, the come and go, right. Is the, became the famous, you know, the, um, the famous, uh, you know, well, quick trip, I guess is what you have in Wisconsin or what they have in Wisconsin, uh, Casey's, uh, in other parts of the world, it would be Seven Eleven and Circle K. But, or up um, here in, in Montreal, the Dep, as we call it, the Dep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are very lucky here that they sell beer at the Dep until 11 p.m. Yeah. and we can start drinking at 18. But as we know, it starts earlier than that. Uh, of course. If, if you're open to discussing, on my side, I am drinking something. I'm not drinking a beer out of respect to you. I have yeah, a, cool. a very cool tea here. Um, which is a collab with my band, Cryptopsy, uh, with Pitch Black nice. North, the satanic tea company out of Calgary, uh, Canada. Nice. This is a none so vile play on words of our classic album, none so vile. This is a black tea with lavender and hops. Anything I'm involved in obviously has a bit of hops in it. Uh, it's yeah. good. I've, it's, I've had it for over a year now and it's still just as good well, as it I, ever I was. I commend you for putting hops in it because the trend has become CBD, right? Oh, we put yes. CBD in it now. So I, I did some tea like that. You know, when we started the Ellison Coffee Company, yes. we considered, I considered, should it be Ellison Coffee and Tea? Because, you know, not everybody drinks coffee. A lot, of, a lot of tea drinkers around the world, right? So we ended up not doing that. Tea was kind of a whole other thing. Um, and I did partner with a friend of mine, uh, Phil Andre, who has a uh, the Motley Brew over yeah. in England, right? And and now he has a little footprint at KK Steel Mill there in Wolverhampton. And but he would he vended for me. He brought my Ellison coffee in as the coffee because he's a tea guy, right? So in, in, of course in England everything's tea, right? So he brought me into Bloodstock and um, another festival. I forgot what it was, but um, you know, so he's been great with with that. But as I think we did a tea thing once. One time we tried something, and it was just hard to get. It was just kind of hard to get traction with it, you know. But then I did end up doing some CBD coffee. There was a company, um, God, I think it might have even been in, here in Phoenix in Tempe, um, and it was man, it was freaking strong. And again, I, you know, I haven't had any mind-altering chemicals, you know, that affect you from the neck up, you know, for. 33 years right wow. so whenever whenever something comes across or like you know you're at a at a concert and you know you give me a diet coke and it shows up as a rum and coke one quick taste like whoa yeah this isn't mine you know give you know in fact it just happened to me on the monsters rock cruise i was in uh i was in uh the dominican republic and i i know for sure i ordered a, a virgin i like virgin daiquiris like a strawberry daiquiri it's refreshing mm-hmm. outside and, or, and I saw a pina colada, so I said, you know, virgin, non-alcohol pina colada. And he said, no problem. So he brings it. And one drink, I was like, whoa. You know, I said, <laughs> goes, no, sir, it is not. I said, it is. I'm Trust telling me. you right yeah. now, there's freaking booze in that. So he brought it back. So, you know, like, that's my responsibility to make sure that what passes these lips is, you know, not of a mind-altering chemical, you know. But um, so that the CBD coffee that I had was, man, I mean, it freaking... I just feel like I smoked a joint, but you could tell it was it was CBD of another level, man. And it was I could and it was very expensive. It was uh, I mean, like a bag of coffee would be like a hundred dollars or something. You know, we just sold like well, you have that little package yeah. like that. We that same kind of thing there. Wow. And it lasted for a while. Um, and it just you know that stuff is it's it's again it's expensive. Most people don't drink it. You know most people kind of go for the simplest. They're like, oh man, you make Keurig, and I investigated Keurig, and I mean it was it was like twenty five thirty grand just to get into that. You oh, know, shit. Okay. I always vowed I'm not using my rock and roll money to start a coffee company. You know, and it's like <laughs> you know it's the coffee's kind of got to support itself and kind of for a fun venture. You know, so it's also good for the environment. There are like compostable curry cup things now but just just yeah. going coffee grain is 
much more eco-responsible on your part. Yeah, too. well, and, and then, too, you can get the receptacles that you mm-hmm. pour it in. It's mm-hmm. fine. And most people who are, like, hardcore curing people, they probably even have one of those. Exactly. They can put over their Dunkin' or Starbucks or whatever <laughs> they have in it, you know. So, But, yeah, I was not going into that. And, you know, I, I looked at all that stuff, and I just went, man, at this point – I'm going to have to go outside, get venture capital, and then I'm going to have yeah. to be the CEO. And next thing you know, I, I, I'll be looking at a base rather than playing it because I'll be too busy <laughs> dealing with, you know, shareholder mentality. I was like, yeah, that's that's not the point of the coffee company. No. The coffee is, we have a hat. We have a shirt. We have coffee. You know, so that's. <laughs> well, good for you for having your priorities, your ducks in the row. Uh, 33 <laughs> yeah. years ago, you made a decision, if you can talk about this, if you want to talk about this. Becoming sober, no longer taking any mind-altering substances. Is that something you'd like to open up about that day, that time of your life that you just turned the page? Well, honestly, it wasn't my idea. Um, and and I, I, I mean, it was. Finally, it was. The initial thought of it was, I mean, I had a girlfriend who, you know, found my uh, – it, it was a chemical, a chemical beyond beer and alcohol, right? So it yeah. was uh, – and um and 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 it was getting out of control. I mean, we you know had some people in the group who you know had gone down those roads. And look, you become a product of your environment, right? So when it's in the room, suddenly now they're you're doing it too. And uh, mm-hmm. and so you know, so I came home after Donington in 1988, went to rehab. Um, I, I was supposed to go ten days. I lasted three, you know. And I went, you know what? Fuck this. No girlfriend's worth this pain. I'm out of here, you know. So I left and. But then, you know, and I went to a couple more treatment centers and, and in 1989. And, um, you know, it's funny, Doc McGee was managing us, you know, and he just said, he said, he goes, listen, we're here to make our bands very famous and a lot of money. And if you can do that, great. If you can't and you need help, we'll help you get help. If you don't want the help, there's the door, you know, yeah. and it kind of went just like that. Right. And pretty soon. You know, we were not able to get cleaned up in the group. And, um, you know, this is we're writing what would become Rust in Peace at that time. And um, we just weren't able to get you know, turned the corner. So Doc, you know, kept his promise and he, and he let us go. You know, there's the door. So but then another manager came in, Ron the feed, and he was really, you know, he, he would always talk to me. And, and he knew Dave. Um, he was kind of his first fame was he was the tour manager for Armored Saint on the Wasp Metallic Armored Saint tour. And he was a big metalhead, and he really he loved Megadeth. He he really got what we we're doing, and so he'd always, you know, as he moved around to different managers, he always wanted to try to manage Megadeth. So finally, you know, I said to Dave, I said, you know, I think we should give this guy a shot. You know, we don't have a manager. I think he's the right vibe. He gets it, and you know, and he came in and he and he met us where we were at, which was you know, stone cold fucking chunkies. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, but he just said he goes, you know, that's what we did. No more Mister Nice Guy for yeah. the um, Wes Craven movie. And he just said he goes, listen, guys, it's all yours to have, but you got to get clean. You know, if you don't get clean, it's all going to go away quickly. Like capital's waiting for you to make another record and. You know, and, and he was right. And so he, you know, he, I, I could, you know, we all have to kind of hit that wall, hit that bottom where we just go, all right, I'm, I'm done, you know. And as much as it would, it had to be a group concerted effort, you know, of, um, of, uh, we all got to do this together. Um, and there were others ahead of us who had done it. Motley Crue had done it. Aerosmith, uh, you know, a lot of the people were, you know, now f- kind of famously getting, getting clean and, making their best records and, you know, suddenly it's a new day. And because, you know, what happened was is the record business and the managers, you know, like Doc, you know, they'd been down these roads with their clients and they were like, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) a a, a clean rock star is somebody that we can put our money and our time and our effort into the, you know, the junkies and the druggies. We're we're not interested anymore. You know, it it doesn't work. The seventies kind of wore itself out and into the eighties. And uh, so by the time the nineties came around, um, which is ironic, isn't it? Because then a bunch of us get clean. We make these big records for us, rest in peace, countdown, you know, our nineties records were, were the sober records, you know, and, um, big years for us. And then it's ironic that, that, you know, the Seattle movement would come exactly. in, which you know, yeah. pretty notorious, you know, I remember, in fact, I remember pulling into the Seattle center arena on the countdown tour and everybody's eyes were pinned, which is a, a symptom. You know, that's an indicator that you're on narcotics. Right. And, and I'm going, where the fuck were you guys like three years ago when I was still a junkie and I, now you're all here, like lined up down the, down the, down the driveway into the arena. You know? But, uh, 
but yeah, it, it, it goes that way. And, and, um, look, it, it's, it's been the best thing that, are, that I ever did, you know, and to be honest with you, a lot of it for me, you know, I didn't grow up in a, you know, in a, uh, kind of drug and alcohol. I mean, there's alcohol in my house growing up. My part, my parents had parties and stuff, but you know, it, it, it wasn't something of a, I don't, I wouldn't consider a dysfunctional nature. So for me, it was kind of a return sobriety sort of returned me back to, probably the kid God wanted me to be, you know, like, you know, make music, you know, be cool and get that, get those distractions out of your life. So you can, you know, march down the road that, uh, the good Lord wanted me to go down, you know? And so many more bands now are just doing that. Just clean, sober. A lot of the younger, very popular acts that are happening right now in metal, in rock are proudly sober, proudly, drug-free and it's not about being straight edge or anything so so bands like you guys that pave the way and making being sober cool and you can still create amazing things as there was this this mindset you were talking about in the late 70s early 80s that you had to be fucked up to make good things that yeah, is yeah. a fallacy you know so it's a, cheers to it you is, for doing and, that and you know when i started drinking you know it's like you're always got why well, one drink on stage and i didn't for the longest time you know music was everything and you know the guitar player drank and i get pissed off because by yeah. the end of the night he's like half baked. And, yeah <laughs> you know the singer's smoking weed and forgetting the lyrics it's like geez this sucks you know what i mean is and that was i was like i had no time for that so you know you I, I didn't for the for really until i moved to california i don't think i really ever drank or anything before i went on stage i always played a, a sober you know clear-headed show and i moved to la and of course you know i moved to la and like cocaine's on the cover of time magazine that year you know and it's it's the sunset strip i mean it's everything and it's like look there it is and it's kind of like man this is everything that you saw in a freaking you know a movie or a magazine and it's just again you become a product of your environment it's there it's around and and not everybody was going down those roads you know but um you know we kind of seem to hang in those circles and i look i don't regret it at all i mean i i wouldn't have changed any of it man it was like i got to hollywood at the fucking perfect time man i mean the the week we got there was just the best you know i can only imagine so um you know you know me dave we start megadeth on it goes and just to you know that's and again i kind of consider that you know that was divine for both of us you know he he needed he needed a a a, a real right hand man who was gonna freaking be there and that was me and 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 i needed i need a, a you know someone to freaking pilot the jungle and, and he he knew his shit and he grew up around the area and you know he i'm thankful for him every day you know despite all of it between me and dave i'm always thankful for him that he was the big brother to you know help me get through that because you know just a kid from the farm landing in hollywood that's like they make Rock of Ages, isn't that about that? With Julianne exactly. Hoff, isn't that her character? I mean, that's, that's me. You know, that would have been me, you know. But, uh, but um, yeah, so, it, you know, look, it all worked out, right? So it's all good. Serendipitous is the word that comes to mind. Just, it's a good word. Just, yeah. just totally. Um, classic Fox and Hobbs question. Soundtrack of your youth when you were growing up in your parents' or guardian's house. What music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? Man, that is an awesome question, and I just filled out an email interview for somebody about that. And it's hard to put into words, so it's easier to tell you. Um, so my mom was the musical one. I, I always say when I got in the car with my dad, he'd turn the radio down. When I got in the car with my mom, she'd turn it up. You know, and uh, cause my dad wanted to talk. He wasn't a musical guy. He was a, a verbal speaker kind of guy, talker guy, you know. Um and so, you know, look, it was on the radio. It was Neil Diamond. It was Smokey Robinson, uh, this kind of stuff. Um, my mom had uh, Motown Records, Mary Wells. She had the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand, 45. You know, I listened to that. She was a big Elvis fan. And uh, so she, you know, sang in the church choirs. You know, she was she was the musical one, you know. So, um and they they bought a Wurlitzer organ, you know. This is the early mid seventies, early seventies, you know. And that was kind of, you know, in the Midwest or Main Street, USA. There's these sort of piano and organ shops, you know. They so they bought they bought uh, a Wurlitzer organ, and uh, they had a cassette player in it, which was like this brand new cutting edge technology in 1974 or whatever it was. But they also had a lot of country stuff, you know. Charlie Pride, the Statler Brothers, all this, you know, they were into that, like real, like classic country you know um not johnny cash or willie nelson not really outlaw country 
more just real traditional country and, and that kind of stuff. So that was what I heard. Olivia Newton-John, I remember when she first came out. And that was, you know, kind of pop country, you know, pop crossover stuff. So it was mostly that. Um, and then when I got on the school bus, you know, one year, my brother and I, we'd ride the bus for an hour, you know, getting picked up on the farm into town. Yeah. And and we had a bus driver. He was the pastor of our church. He was the pastor's son, Dwight. I remember his name and he had long hair. Super cool guy. And he always listened to WLS AM out of Chicago, which um, is it's funny. I just saw an article that I think AM stations are kind of going away. And as I've learned this AM stations, because they they would broadcast the farthest away. And so I lived eight hours down east, you know, east of or I'm sorry, west of uh, Chicago. But we could hear this station and it had. Um, you know, they'd play everything from, you know, like sweet. I remember when Ballroom Blitzes came out. And so that Kiss shouted out loud, Bachman Turner Overdrive, Sticks, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, along with it was other stuff like Chicago, of course, the, you know, the early Chicago stuff. Um, so, you know, kind of what became FM rock was what I heard. And then that's when I first heard, you know, rock and roll and, and like heavy rock and stuff. And that's what got me into BTO and Kiss and Sticks and well, sweet and all, all massive, massive cheers to Dwight for, for yeah, the pastor's son. You rule, dude. Thank you. I know. He starting something, you know, like I figured I'd see it was divine. It was meant to be right. It seems to be the theme so far. <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, how about your first music experience? Like you going to see a show? What was that first show for you? Well, look around the area. I mean, at the armory, there'd always be these dances and I remember going to weddings and stuff my parents and it always it always was a country band right playing and they'd have the either their pd amps their fenders the custom amps right and the custom pa with those kind of bubble raptor the yeah. you know that yeah uh, so there was a lot of that around so that was kind of my first exposure to it and then of course you know when kiss you know i, I started to get into kiss there was a couple of you know a couple of like outcasts in school and this is probably sixth grade right for me fifth or sixth grade and they were into Kiss, so you know the outlaws or the out, the outcast kids liked them, you know. And and uh, I remember seeing them on the Paul Lind Halloween special. So this is probably '76 because Destroyer had just come out. And um, and then you know that was it. I mean, I was I was all in once I saw that, and I still watch that on on YouTube. I'll go watch it because it's so friggin' cool. And, um, I'm, I'm gonna watch it now. I'm interested now. Yeah, yeah, Detroit Rock <laughs> City. I think they played Detroit Rock City. I don't know if they did a second song. I think it was just one. Yeah, definitely look it up. It's it, As soon as you see it, you're like, if you're it's, it's sixth grade, you're like, I want to do that. Like, that looks like well, it. Was it the, the imagery, the, the, the stage get-ups, the show, or the music, or was it just the whole package? Every bit of it. It was just of another level. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, and I think with that is that they made rock and roll like this fantasy. Like, you just drift off and you become, you detach from living on a farm in Minnesota. And again, I didn't have a bad upbringing at all. It was, it, was, it was really great, actually. But it was just this, this you know, you just float off into another time and space, you know. And, and they and they sold that whole thing, and I bought every bit of it, you know. So <laughs> I remember my mom, She, I begged her to take uh, me and my friend Greg and my brother, and he took a buddy. We all and, and uh, we all went up to Minneapolis. It was the Met Center in, in Bloomington. Uh, rock and roll over tour. So it was February seven, Sunday, February 6, nineteen seventy seven, and uh, and um, saw them on the rock and roll over tour with Uriah Heep as the uh, special guest. And I think the tickets, you know, advance was five bucks. Day of show was six bucks. We bought ours in advance. You know, that was the first time I bought a t-shirt at a show. And of course, I buy some shitty bootleg outside. <laughs> but you, you didn't know. know. You didn't know at that point. A bad poster <laughs> that's out of focus and some t-shirt that I, once I washed it, it just fell apart. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you see them on a, on a 76 Halloween special and then. Four months later, basically, you see them live. So, see so you, live, you yeah. were persistent with your mother and your family to 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 get you at the show. My mom got it because again, she was an Elvis fan, and and you know the, the, the guitar player from uh, Elvis, Scotty Moore. He's got a great website. If you go, if you go to, I think it's scottymore.net or whatever, and he's got it. I mean, he's got every show, everything he's ever done is indexed there, and the Elvis stuff. I think it was 1956, he played the Veterans uh, Auditorium in Des Moines, Iowa. And my mom, because she grew up in Iowa, so she went to go see him. 
And, you know, there's like an upright bass and Elvis is doing his thing. And, and there, my mom said the place didn't, it wasn't very full. It was maybe a couple thousand people or something. And she was right down in the front and got Elvis's scarf. Cool. And uh, yeah. So it's, I look at the picture on Scotty's website and I, I look at it and I go, I can't believe my mom is down in the mosh pit in an Elvis. <laughs> And my mom's down. So, you know, she got it, man. She she knew. And even years, you know, she she passed away in 2016. And and I remember talking to her a year or two before that, you know, and she was just like, you know, she's like, you know, you you had just such a better life getting off the farm. And and I mean, these were nice farms. These were big farms and they made a lot of money. I mean, believe me, I jumped off the farm and dive dove straight into destitute poverty out in Hollywood as we were starting Megadeth. So Sometimes I wonder, but you know, there, one, I remember once I got there, I'm walking down Hollywood Boulevard, going, "This fucking sucks, man! What a what a hellhole! This doesn't look anything like on TV, where it's all, you know, shiny and perfect." Yeah, yeah. like so I'd watch Chips and Charlie's Angels and this kind of stuff, and then that was a very different LA than what the reality of walking down Hollywood Boulevard. Smog everywhere. My nose hurt. I remember it was just ugh, and um, you know, but I'm just going. I mean, like, I'm not going home. You know, I'm not going to go run the farm it's just not my brother's gonna do that that's not in the cards for me so it's kind of like well pull up your sleeves you know we're going in you know so um and uh you know everything that came with it amazing how about your first time on stage do you remember your first show ever i do you know it's funny so we're you know in dieth now we're a three-piece that i also sing in my very first band we were a three-piece that i was one of the singers with the guitar player and, you know, it's one of these, like, we play, I think our name was Headstone. It was, like, the most metal, macabre thing we could come up with at, like, age 12 or whatever I was. And the guitar player and the drummer were two years older than me. They were in my brother's graduating class. And um, and so, we, you know, we played on, like, you know, Mike, the guitar player's, you know, the porch of his parents' house or something, you know. That. But it's one of those, you know, you got stage clothes, you got your, your shoes, you know, of course, you got platforms because that's what Kiss wore. You know, we've kind of got like our shiny shirts and our bell bottoms and all this stuff. And, you know, of course, the guitar player's amp stops working in the gig. So, you know, you get your real dose of like, this is what it's like being on stage. Yeah. Ear break. Everything's You fucked, might have yeah. broken a string. I mean, just everything that can go wrong goes wrong, you know. And uh, well, welcome to showbiz. You know, it, it ain't as easy as it looks. No, no. But we pretend that it's really is. That it's not. <laughs> Our job is to make it look easy. You know, Gar Samuelson always said that. He said, I make the, I make the hard stuff look easy. While all the guys at MTV make all the easy stuff look hard. That's like, true. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to Helen Beck coming out June second of the Napalm Dieth. Um, people are you know new band, um, a new chapter. Something that I think is amazing is that you're never finished. A lot of people would have just stopped and been satisfied having such a vast legendary musical career. You're still hungry. You're still playing. You're still doing something new. To Helen Beck is exactly that. It's it's very extreme. And I, I was surprised when I heard the first singles that you were a part of something so extreme. So so talk to me about that first off. The music extremity, obviously, we're putting uh, Entombed AD members, decapitated, very extreme uh, bands right there, classic bands in the death metal scene, which Cryptopsy is very closely tied to. Talk to me about the extremity of Dieth first, please. Well, so I got introduced to Galerme on email. It was January 2022, so about a year and a half ago. Uh, my friend Christian, who plays drums in Dead by Wednesday, which is a group out of uh, Connecticut, and I'd put out a record for him uh, on my combat label. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he's, he's played drums for me on some stuff. And actually, all stuff I've done right here in this studio. So Galerme sends me the track. I get an introduction, kind of a quick backstory, and it was like, all right, look, new year, new month, new friends, new introductions. I hear the track. I go, okay, definitely new sound, new music. So I come here to the studio and I plug in and I record in the Hall of the Hanging Serpents, you know, right here behind me. And, um, you know, what hit me was, it's like, man, this is like, not only is it heavy. And again, I'd, I'd worked, I'd had some experience with this to the exposure to this kind of music with Max Cavalera when I had worked with him with Soul. Um, which I'd recorded here at another studio in Phoenix and, you know, great, Super fun with Max, you know, very relaxed, very casual. He would just kind of let me do whatever I wanted. And and was just, you know, just kind of, hey, be David Ellison, you know, like, <laughs> all right, you know, but it's still your band. You wrote the song, you know, any any input? And he's like, just do, you be David Ellison. So <laughs> Max is just such a sweet guy. And um, so that, and of course, I've worked with Andreas Kisser, Sepultura, you know, so that's, um, 
So I've, I've had some exposure kind of through them. So I've had a little bit of experience with how some of the, the note choices and the cording is. Um, and I noticed Galerme's vocals were, they had a, a very listenable quality. And I, I, I attribute that to him also being of Brazilian uh, Portuguese uh, of, of his, of his you know, native language, because it's, you know, it's a, it's a Latin love language. So it, it's very musical and it has a, I think even, even though they're of a different native tongue, when they sing in English, I say they meaning Max and, and both Glermay that, that it's very, it's listenable. And there's a, there's a melodic thing about it. You can understand it if you speak English, like I do. Um, so, it, it connected with me, you know, and um, uh, so we we mixed the track. I was I went to Europe. Uh, we shot the video. We popped it up in July, and we were kind of going. I mean, I just ignored me one day, and I was just getting restless. It was July, and I'm like, you know, fuck it, let's put that song out. You know, let's just do it. It's uh, so we just we just dropped it on my Facebook. You know, we just popped it up, and you know, I mean. You know, it's just within minutes. It's like it was just blowing up. You yeah, know? yeah. It was, people were, were waiting for new stuff. So, so yeah, and I, and it was very unexpected. I mean, I'd done the lucid at this point. I'd done a few things that people really liked, and re- they were like, "Wow, this is refreshing. It doesn't sound like anything you've done before." So, I think most of the stuff that I've done here the last couple of years, it's all new. It's all fresh. Uh, the Ellison Soto record, you know, out. You know, we're. You know, I have some Kings of Thrash material. It, it's it's very it's it's very different. You know, I didn't just sort of hit the default button and go back to what I've always done. Let that kind of reside in its own world. Um, and now, you know, new friends, new songs. You know, new journey. I think it's exciting. I think it's really cool that at this point in your career, so many countless amazing shows amazing albums you're still pushing your boundaries and comfort levels when approaching songwriting and playing and and just just you know almost crafting like a new identity yeah yeah i i I agree with that in fact in some ways you know i think the world is kind of getting to know david ellison for who i fully am you know um you know in every band you've got a role you do you know kind of part of you absolutely um and that's kind of what your fans grow up with they sort of expect you in that role they're comfortable with you with that so i you know first of all i always thank you know the fans that have followed me and stayed with me um and that's why you know again i think with kings of thrash i i, I did that as an honorarium to you know uh, uh to the megadeth stuff uh and and to an era that that i was very much a, a, a fabric of and even a writer of that some of that stuff um that you know you don't really hear it very much anymore so it was done as a way to honor that so as i'm doing new things it's not like oh screw my past i'm out i'm done and who cares about that it's like no that's the reason i'm able to do all this other stuff and i want those fans to come with me you know i and i think that that's um that that it's important that 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 piece is connected you know um and uh so that's and, they're, they're, and that's just kind of a transitional process that i you know i've really tried to be mindful of um and but yet as i'm doing new things you know and doing it in several different settings you know not trying to go well i'm going to play some death metal and i'm going to do some all rock and i'm going to do some power metal oh by the way i can do some you know i'm trying to do that all in one band people be like dude what the fuck is this guy doing you know so <laughs> i think doing it in separate settings you got to go oh the lucid is that you know because i've had a lot of people come up to me and say man i think that is that's some of the best stuff you've ever done and these are kind of more mainstream rocker type and i awesome man and you know and then i do these interviews with diet and people are you know you know metalheads and stuff are blown away just going dude this is like this is like next level you know like the bass playing is next level and and i never thought i'd hear that especially after megadeth because a lot of stuff is pretty complex and it was pretty deep you know and musically and then for people to really i think kind of latch on to and appreciate how hard we worked on this record and 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 the sort of how muscular the music is i mean to play bass of the diet stuff trust me it is not easy because it it requires a very fat string tuned really low and i mean it's 
freaking you're grabbing on and it's like ufc of base man you're like wrestling with this <laughs> thing to get it supposed to get it articulated and get it to sound good and it's 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 a lot of work you know and there, there are days i go god what was i thinking i went the wrong way i should be playing like country music or something now it should be easy instead i went harder it's like let's play something that's even more complex more challenging i like that Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. I definitely want to talk about your identity as a musician. I think that's uh, something for myself, Cryptopsy. Um, we haven't released an album in a long time. We haven't toured since 2019. I've been doing the podcast hard since throughout the whole pandemic. I am looking forward to falling back into getting back or releasing a new album soon. We just signed to Nuclear Blast to falling back into that identity of myself. So for yourself to for so long and for so many years the basis of Megadeth was your identity. Is that something that, and I've read that you had to like mourn, there was a period of mourning to get over that. Is that something that you will ever be able to get past, even for yourself, having this identity being such a big part of you? You know, I think the original mourning of that happened in 2002 when the band just ended suddenly out of nowhere. It was just, that was not a call I was expecting to get. Um, I mean, it didn't, totally surprised me i guess because of some stuff kind of leading up to it but uh, it was not that was not the call because nick men's always used to joke about that in the 90s when things were hard he goes oh maybe we should just break up and reform under a new name <laughs> right so when it actually happened i was like what the hell like yeah. we're, we're curious about this you know so that that was probably the hardest one and and my my family was very young I, you know, that that's one of the most expensive parts of your life is raising your kids at that age. So you know, I think that one was probably the hardest corner to turn. Um, and, you know, when I went back to Megadeth in 2010, you know, when Sean Drover had called me and then I, you know, and everything, I mean, it felt great and it was just na a natural thing for it to, to happen. Right. Um, and but, I, you know, I was I was tentative because I was like, you know, you know, I, I don't know. And I mean, so I agreed to come back for a month. You know, I figured I'll tell you what, I'll, 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 because, <laughs> you know, sadly, Lomenzo was on his way out the door at that point. So I was like, look, you need a bass player. I'm the only guy who's going to be able to do this. And I'm the only guy, it, it just, it, again, divine, right? It just, it's supposed to happen. It just did. And so finally, I was just like, okay, just get over yourself. Just go do it. It's just, it's just, and if it works for a month, so we finished the month and then we were going to go to South America and it was like, all right, that was, that was pretty cool. I, and I liked it and we all liked it. We were having fun. And, and, um, so when South America and then we went to Europe, then we did the big four and, you know, on and on and went and then 11 years later, you know, so it <laughs> just continued on and, you know, and, you know, look, I think, you know, we plan on should have just ended that way, you know, but it, it, whatever, you know, so it, it, it didn't. And, um, um, you know, so I think, you know, when it, when it happens that I was suddenly just not, you know, out of the group, I was, I was just kind of, I, I was a little like, all right, that's weird. But, um, I, I just kind of sat with it for, for a bit. I had the lucid record already to go. I was our, I'd already had the Ellison Soto record in motion. So I'd already had other things. So for me, musically, it wasn't so much a place of just sitting there empty, or I had to do that because I'd already been through that in 2002 and I spent the 2000s with F5 and Temple Brutality and Soulfly and these things. So I knew I knew it was going to be OK. You know, so I knew it was just like basically be... like moving pots around off the back burner into yeah. the forward to, 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 to the main burner. Put them, move that other pot up, exactly. turn it up, water, 
you know, the Boston, you know, there's that, good. there's that fool me once, you know, shame on there's that. Saying, yeah, it, and you were ready 100%. for that. So when I went back to it in 2010, I, I was not going to, uh, and I, look, I was all in. I mean, I wasn't, once we decided, you know, I wasn't like sort of tentative about it. I was all in. Right. But at the same time, as my phone rang to do other things and as other opportunities came along, I sort of, you know, I balanced them to go, yeah, I'm, I got, I got a couple months off. I'll, I'll, let's go, you know, work on some new stuff and always just kind of keep planting some seeds. Um, and also I think it's the world we live in now that, you know, I watched other people around me. They were doing it as well. People weren't just, just doing multifaceted. One. That's then. I mean, like Vivian Campbell was back doing last in line, you know, where kind of where he came from, um, which, you know, I guess kind of inspired me a little bit with Kings of Thrash, you know, to, to, same thing, kind of go back to, to an era. Um, so I think we live in a world that's, you know, certain people, certain members of groups, you know, they maybe because they own the whole group, they don't they don't ever do anything else. And that is their identity. But for me, I enjoyed the 2000s where I got to spread my wings. You know, we did Metal Allegiance. Yeah, that was super cool, though. Yeah. So we did these things and, you know, it's fun to do it with my friends. So I, I kept that going. And. So, you know, that's why I was even Dieth. I think when I got the email about it in the first track, I was just kind of like, yeah, little look, well, let's, why not? Sure, let's do it. And then, you know, kind of came this crossroads where it's like, okay, well, am I just going to play bass for Galerme songs or should I sort of step up and start offering some things? And I did. I sent some folders of stuff over to, to Galerme and Mihal and they really liked it. And, 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 um, and then, then comes that point of, are we going to really make we, it we work? Take this serious, are, we, are we taking this relationship to the next level? And, and Guilherme did. He really did. He, he he said, man, there's some good stuff in this folder, and I definitely want to use it. And, you know, so, so you know, then I, you know, started moving, you know, sending some heavy as the crown. When I started kind of writing more completed ideas and stuff, those those made the transition. So now I look at it like it's a really a great home to have to be have, have a new home that's again pushing the envelope even farther than i've done in the past um and uh and you know again you know with 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 and it's exciting to do to make music with some new friends and 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 sort of feel it out to see what's you know where where we can go with it and now taking it on tour this summer and onto the stages and you know, that's a whole other level. Like, you know, how does how does this work on stage and developing a live show? Because initially you're just a band up there kind of playing your songs. And then, then it's about, you know, moving that forward is do we are we feeling it? No. Can we develop this into a to a live show, which I, I think this this one can. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it just feels like it's got all the right pieces in it to to just keep moving it forward now. That makes me very excited, the live things. And if you ever come to Montreal, I'm going to come hang out for sure. Um, something that I dislike, and I'm sort of a part of the problem, but I try not to be, is uh, press and clickbait garbage questions. And people love to to ask you shitty things, and that's not what I'm about to do. But my question is for you, how do you feel about this garbage press that loves to trap you because you're so generous in interviews? Well, I appreciate that. You know, look, I've tried to be very... Uh, I guess generous would be the word, you know, to people like, you know, if Joe's headbanger.net comes along, wants to do an interview, you know, he's just looking to get any foothold in to kind of make a name and get in there. And look, as long as he's knowledgeable and he's not a, a, you know, a a creep and he's, you know, asked decent questions and he's in it for the spirit of it. I've usually granted those people interviews, you know, and you find out pretty quickly, which ones had the ulterior motive of (laughs) trying to bait you with things and, and, um, you know, and again, obviously the hot button topic is the Megadeth stuff and, you know, and, and, you know, from a couple of years ago and all that, and, you know, look, I, I've already addressed it. And, you know, the, the truth of it is, is I would, you know, like I've said in other interviews, you know, the fans, we, we don't want to see our heroes fighting, man. You know, it's, it's regardless of anything. It's, it's, it, it, it takes away from the music. You really do. You know, and it's, it's. You know, again, being a Kiss fan, when Ace Frehley, I, his solo album was my favorite. Second was Paul Stanley and, you know, and Gene and Peter, you know. And, and so when Ace went solo, um, it didn't have quite the same appeal because he wasn't in the band. But, you know, look, I paid attention to it because I knew he, he could write songs and he like, he's my superhero, you know, with what he had the makeup on, you know. And and so it's, um, 
you know, again, I, I, I think it's important to always honor and respect your past and you don't throw rocks at it. You don't kick dirt at it. You, you try not to, you know, talk any smack about it. Because, look, we could, there's volumes and volumes of books and shit we could all write. And even these memoirs. I mean, I remember when Joel MacGyver gave me to write mine. I just got back to Megadeth. Dave was writing his and he said he encouraged me to write it. And and um, he said, look, you and Dave are the two bookends of the Megadeth story. Of course, you should write a book. And and Dave really supported it. I ran it by him. I let her read it. And, and he had some good constructive criticism for him. He just kind of mechanically with the how the book flowed and everything. And, and so he was he was helpful to me with that. And so and that was, you know. You know, good. We kind of joked. We were kind of like, you know, brothers. You know, Jonathan and David out of the Old Testament. You know, and and uh, um, you know, I, I'd rather be preserved like that rather than Cain and Abel. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> yes. um, I mean, again, you're in a band. If you've been in a band with anybody for more than a couple of minutes, you know, yeah, you know, we, we don't get along all the time. Yeah, and you don't always get along, and you kind of <laughs> go, "Do we make great music? Yeah, you know, does it work on stage? Yeah, is is it is it is it working? Yeah, so you. You know, like in any work relationship or marriage or otherwise, you you know, you kind of got to like, you got to sort of, you know, go along to get along, man. And it's the fact that Dave and I did it for as long as we did. And, and um, you know, the heart, you know, the the early years were, were difficult, but there was a lot of fun with them as well. Of know? course, of course. And that's the importance. And, and the fact that you, you still honor your past is amazing and it's because they're, they're without going through what we go through in life we would never get to where we are so so it's like you know since the transition has happened um again i'm very thankful for everyone yourself included the press and you know fans who have really you know hung by me and and said all right let's let's see what's next you know let's see what's going on and and you know so you know I think just putting out quality material is is always the number one thing, right? Just make make it. That's that's number one. And then, um, hey, look, I, I'm thankful for every interview, every recording session, every every time I get on stage, you know, because one day that'll be the last one. You'll die or <laughs> something will happen. I, I have moments like that sometimes when I'm on stage and I'm like. What if this is the last one? You know, like, what? What if this is it? What well, one day it will be. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why in two thousand two, like Nick Menza, you know, he'd always, we, you know, he'd be at home. He'd just go, man, I can't wait to get in the road. Then we get in the road, and he's bitching about not being at home. And I'm like, Nick, <laughs> you know, and, and we, I was just like, dude, one day this will be the last one. It really mm. will be, and you know, something will happen, and and. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe the fans just don't like us anymore. We watched that happen to a lot of our friends, you know, and suddenly one day they're like, yeah, music's changed. We're done with you. And, and, and so I said, man, just try to be thankful. And, you know, Nick was a good dude, but it was just that thing that, you know, he was, he was Italian. He was a homebody. He liked being home, you know? So, uh, um, but yes. So, you, you know, you're right. One day that'll, that'll be it. You know, so look, we have our health. We can still play. We can still hear. We can still be decent. We can get on stage, and you know. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's you know. And to me now, it's kind of about just being appreciative for all of that. And and look, let's face it, it's fun. I mean, yeah. you know, you go Why are you still making record. It's fun. Yeah. It's like. Right. I mean, sitting in the studio. I think it's so cool. Flying to Poland, making fucking death metal with a bunch of guys eating pierogies and hanging out. It's like, fucking come <laughs> on. It's fun. Like, who wouldn't want to do this? I love it. I love it. One last question. Um, I've been doing this new segment called Fight the Hops, where I ask my guests uh, a small term goal, something they're working on that they hope to accomplish within the next month, two months. What are you doing right now to fight the hops? To fight the hops. So it's funny. I just had a I just did a blood draw conversation with my naturopath, so I'm trying to get my keep my triglycerides low. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I saw the whole blood panel. I'm like, good, good, good. Yeah, look, you know, that one's probably honest. So, so, you know, the truth. Of, and I got to say, you know, you know, living a clean life has helped. You know, it's I look. I know. Look, everybody on the Ellison side, they all die of heart disease and diabetes and all this shit. So again, you kind of know what's coming. So it's like. You know, do your best. You know, that's why I'm at the gym. And this morning I'm riding my bike. I'm swimming. I'm training with a train. Today was leg day, you know. Hell so yeah. it's like, you know, now I'm in the studio. So it's just, you know, it's just every day is kind of that thing of just make sure you're still standing upright and breathing. And, you know, you because hey, look, 
it's also about quality of life, right? It's, you know, I've been very blessed to have a, you know, to have a healthy life. You know, I have not had a lot of problems other people have, have unfortunately had to go through, you know, so I've 58 years on the planet. It's been pretty friggin' good, you know, so it's, uh, Try, try to keep it that way is, is the goal now. That's the hops. Hell yes. I like that very much. Um, you're an inspiration, a legend. People, you know, I can say that. Uh, you're a legendary dude. I'm very stoked to have had this chat with you. Everyone go check out Dieth to Helen Back. Coming out June 2nd, Napalm Records. David, this was amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time. Massive cheers to you. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome conversation, an awesome experience to hang out with another living legend. David has done so much in his career, and he is still so creative and so hungry. I think that is truly inspiring. Massively stoked to have had the opportunity to sit down and have a chat with David. I'm very stoked about his new band, Dieth. You should go check it out. The most extreme project that he's ever been a part of, and I think that's super cool always evolving. His life is a bunch of unique experiences and life decisions that brought him exactly to where he is today, having been in one of the most successful thrash metal bands in the world, and now still evolving and still doing interesting musical projects. I think that's super awesome. You should definitely get ready for their album, To Hell and Back. It drops this Friday. You should definitely check it out. Now, if you enjoy this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast's mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. And you will get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. And you'll get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' metal architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. There is always a lot of stuff going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, and I hate when you miss a single thing, so please do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound, Talent, Media, and Evergreen Podcast. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I have one more episode, another episode. I had mentioned there would only be one this week, but that's not true because I'm dropping another one this Friday with Vespasian and Horas of Imperium Decadence. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.